When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Smattering, where we ask the important questions about investing. I'm Jason Hall, joined by the voice of the people, trademarked Jeff Santoro. Hey Jeff. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Mistakes were made. Mistakes were made. Right. The, the, famous, the famous words. Um, we're going to talk about investing mistakes today. I think it's going to be a, an interesting show. We're going to kind of share some of our own mistakes. And mistakes is a broad category, right? A lot of different ways you can make a mistake in investing. Well, it's interesting. I think your your list of mistakes that we have here are different than mine, but they all sort of, you know, are things that I think people all struggle with. So it'll be good to kind of talk through them and see where we went wrong and what we learned from it. I'm going to go ahead and make a call out to our viewers. Um, I would love for you guys to share, you folks to share some of your own investing mistakes with us through the various channels you can reach out to us. Jeff, you want to tell the good people how they can, how they can do that? Yeah. Uh, we're on Twitter at Smattering Show. Um, you can email us at thesmatteringshow at gmail.com. We also are on YouTube and we finally have a show specific URL. So you can just search for us or you can type in youtube.com slash um, the smattering show. And uh, yeah, hit us up with your mistake stories. We'd love to hear it. But also, if you could subscribe and like and comment and and spread the word, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah, and please subscribe to that YouTube channel, even if you don't particularly like to watch videos. Yeah, just subscribe. The more people that subscribe. Yeah, because that means that YouTube will finally start giving us some money from those ads that they show. So help us out. Do us a solid. Okay, mistakes were made. But we learned something, right? That's that's the subtitle right. here. Jeff, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to kind of kick this one off. Thinking about investing mistakes, what does that mean to you? Well, what do you think it means maybe to the average person? So I think it can mean I think it can mean a bunch of things, and I think it depends where you are kind of in your investing life and how old you are and how long you've been investing in, in whether you invest in, in individual stocks or in index funds or however you do it. So as I was brainstorming on this, you know, I've mentioned many times on the podcast that I've only been buying individual stocks for a few years now. So I think it's a little too early to tell if I've made any terrible decisions. Um, because I think, you know, shy of three years since I bought my first stock, I don't think I can really definitively say, Oh, I, I sold this too early or I, you know, uh, bought this and it was so the sub within the subcategory uh, of so we have the category of investing mistakes the subcategory stupid stock picks right is what right and right. i don't know that i'm quite there yet i'm sure there are some i keep track oh, no you've made some stupid stock picks. Yeah. you just don't know what they are yet. exactly um <laughs> but for me most of my i know mine i've been doing this long enough yeah we we're gonna have fun talking about yours you have some good stories oh yeah um i, I would say most of my mistakes with investing center around not doing enough of it and doing and maybe not 
thinking carefully about how I spend my money when I was younger. So, you know, the first one that pops into my mind, and, and I've talked about this before as well, is just not not putting enough money into my retirement account when I started working, but also doing it based on a dollar amount and not a percentage of my salary. Um, so I, I think yeah, that percentage of the salary part, I think it's really important, Jeff, because I mean, what, break down the difference. Let's let's well, uh, so I'll give you specific numbers because I think this will this will kind of shed light on it. So I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure I chose something ridiculous like a hundred dollars a paycheck when I started my te- my work my work career. I put a hundred dollars a paycheck into my retirement account. Yeah, that's like 25% of your check when you're a new teacher. <laughs> yeah. though, isn't it? Wasn't quite that much. But ironically, I know that's a, the obvious joke to go to, but ironically, that was the time in my life when I was probably the wealthiest. Right. Just in terms of like disposable income. Right. If, single, you take my, you, if you take my salary when I was 22 and my expenses when I was 22. You thought you were rich. Didn't I you? did. And so I did what yeah. most... 22-year-old people do when they're dumb and with money is I bought a really sweet computer. Um, and every bit of I it. went out to eat. I had fun with my yep. friends. Meanwhile, I'm socking away, you know, whatever it was, $75 out of my actual pocket <laughs> into, right. Right. into my right. and then I and then I didn't change it for years. Right. Probably until that's one of the things about even if you had just done, say, Three percent, or two, even two percent, right. as your pay goes up, that number just gets bigger because your pay goes up, right? When you set it as a dollar amount and you don't click on that automatically raise it every year thing, I mean, you are just hosing yourself. Yeah, and I now I I think part of it, part of it was just not really thinking through it and part not knowing it. Part of it was, you know, I'm an educator, so I I do have a pension. Right, which is not common right now. Like, there's very few professions left where there's a pension. So, that has honestly saved me in the sense that I'll be okay playing catch up in my 30s and 40s because I, I will have that. But absent that, I would be sitting here right now at age 43, a little bit more worried about: Am I going to have enough to retire? So, it, was, it it had the potential to be a pretty substantial mistake. Um, and I sort of lucked out that it wasn't. So I have a couple other mistakes relating to that part of my life that I'll come back to. But that's the number one uh, example that pops out into my head was just, you know, not a building the habit of investing more when I was younger, and and also just not doing it when I had the disposable income to do so. Two, two. I have two takeaways from this, Jeff. The the first one is I think that at the end of your investing career. This that could prove the biggest material mistake you ever make because it yeah. didn't lose money. But the fact that you, you know, however many years that period of time was, that you weren't compounding, right? Exactly. Every just just you get capture the market's average returns, and you double your money every eight years, right? So you know you double it in eight years, and then eight years later. You've doubled it again, so you've fourfolded your money after six years or sixteen years, right? And then another eight years after that, you've eight xed your, you know, that that original dollar you invested. You're it's so it. it in other words, for the, the dollars at twenty something versus fifty something, that's why it takes so much more damn money 
to get to that same size nest egg for retirement, right? So that's my number one point, right? That's a big thing. Jeff, yeah, go ahead. You said no. That it's me. gonna be it's gonna be huge. And and ironically, the person you know, my wife who who could care less about any of this stuff right you know now, like she doesn't pay any attention to this podcast or anything that we're doing. She came out right out of college and put six percent in to get her company match um, right off the bat. And I remember being yeah. like, "Wow, that's a lot of money." <laughs> Women plan. Women think about these yes. things. Um, dudes don't want to cut into their beer money, right? So. So that was so that was my, yes I just stereotyped the hell out of everybody I I know that it's for for humor's sake people don't at me um, Jeff there's a second point about that mistake you made I think that I mean this is the white paper on to counter every time we hear somebody say we need more investing education in the schools I would like to present this evidence for the jury. Jeff Santoro, ladies and gentlemen, educator, who, <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding a little bit, but I think it's one of those things where when it comes to this, we as investors, you always hear investors talk about people that are avid about picking stocks and buying that kind of, make those kind of things. Yeah, we need to get more of this in the schools and that kind of stuff. And, and I think it's, we start getting a little bit too vicarious and we start pushing something that I think is a lot, is... I think it's a societal responsibility by and large, but it's also an individual responsibility that we just try to foist on other people and make it. Yeah. I mean, it's not entirely a lack of education. It's partially to just the structure of how it works, at least in my profession. So like, you know, there was a rep. Oh, of course. Well, I met with a representative from the company I had my retirement account with and he set up all the, you know, set up the accounts for me and stuff. And it was sort of like what we talked about um, in a, in a past episode where you do that risk rating and it really is, it really isn't a risk rating. It's your like tolerance for, for volatility rating. And yep. I was very antagonistic in that because I, I felt like I was being sold something. So my, my guard was up. So I was very mm-hmm. insistent when I said, no, I, I want to be conservative and I don't want to put a lot of money in. I was not, I was too bullheaded to hear him. He might've said to me like, Hey, can I just explain how compounding interest works? Cause you're an idiot. And I, I wouldn't have heard it cause I was too, <laughs> I was too stubborn and, and too worried about having something sold to me. So like, it's not like, you know, it is, it's entirely on well, me. Let's face it. The reputation for wall street, I mean, and investing and buying stocks continues to erode, right? All right. Enough about me. Let's, let's, yeah. let's hear one of your mistakes, big guy. Mine's even worse than than that. Like it's not even close. As you put on our outline, Jason's bad golf round. Maybe um, that's going to be our episode also, title. It could, there we go. Um, I, I'm es- I'm going to estimate that this golf round, and it wasn't just the golf round. There was some other things too. Um, probably has cost me twenty five thousand. Maybe thirty thousand dollars to date. Jeff, ask me, ask me why that's the case. Jason, why is that the case? Because I paid for that golf round on a credit card, and I paid put a bunch of other stuff on that credit card too. Um, I couldn't afford to pay the credit card bill, so I cashed out my four hundred one k from my prior employer, and it was between three and five grand. It wasn't a ton of money. But after I took the penalty, and of course it adds to your net income for the year, so the regular income tax that you pay, 
cut that off the top, pay for this bad round of golf. I don't even remember the people I played golf with. Um, I, I do remember that it really wasn't much fun and then paid off the other shit on the credit card that who knows what it was. It's probably mostly booze. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, that was it. That's, that's what I did with that money. And you might say, well, good for you for paying off the credit card. No, bad for me for even having anything on that credit card, right? <laughs> Nothing meaningful came out of, out of this experience except that I have um, a smaller nest egg now. Obviously, like you, you know, I've talked about it before. Now, I did this in my mid-20s. Within six or seven years, you know, yeah, probably th- right around 30 is when I, like the light, light bulb went off. Like, I got to crank up my retirement savings. I got, you know, I got a future. You know, I'm going to have kids at some point in my life. I have to act like a grown-up and save like a grown-up and invest like a grown-up. So I've more than made up for it now, but yeah, woof. Yeah, it's, I, I also look back, I mean, I don't want to get like, we want to get into some of the more fun stock mistakes that, that you've made. So I don't want to take up too much time, <laughs> but I'll say, let me, I'll add this one thing. I'm kind of glad we've gone through this downturn because it makes that golf round less expensive. <laughs> You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You keep telling yourself that. That's how this works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, I look yeah, back to like at, at how many of like the rules, the, the rules of like personal finance that I just sort of was lucky enough that I never got called on. Like, I never, when I was younger, I didn't have any substantial emergency fund. Right, I was one unemployment spell, one bad car accident, one unexpected medical expense away from like being in like real financial trouble. Again, just because I it wasn't on my mind, like I just it was, I wasn't thinking to myself like, oh, I should have a couple months of my salary or my expenses saved up, um, mm-hmm. you know. And then I also was, you know, I liked when I liked having a new car every couple of years, and 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 you know, I moved a lot. Um, for me, the most of the mistakes are those sort of early in my, earlier in my adulthood personal finance mistakes that have impacted my ability to invest in what I'll be able to have near the end. But you have some good, you have a couple good stories of, in addition to the, the life story, but you have a couple good stock, stock mistake stories. So I'm, I'm going to start with the first one here. This is a recent one. So I'm going to start with the most recent one because it's the least damaging and it actually might work out okay. Uh, it's a company called TPI Composites, stock tickers TPIC. And TPIC is a contract manufacturer for wind turbine manufacturers. They make the composite blades, you know, these big carbon fiber blades that are hundreds of feet long. Kind of the thesis for the business is they, is the wind turbine manufacturers, they want to compete like in as many markets as they can. Um, But you can't be fully vertically integrated and compete in every market because of these blades, right? They're giant. The logistics of shipping them, um, is so expensive and so complex, you have to have relatively regional manufacturing that's pretty close to where the wind turbines are going to be installed. The problem is that you can't just build a factory everywhere because you, nobody's going to have enough market share, right, to be able to do it. So TPI Composites has kind of carved out this niche where they manufacture for basically all of the, the global players. Um, so they can have a manufacturing facility and have four or five lines and have an agreement to make blades for Siemens and, and Vestas and GE um, and you know some of these other players. 
and, and have a good business. Right. Um, and they've developed some great competencies and some really, they're really, really good at this. Um, and they have some optionality going on too, because of their expertise in composites, um, in the electrical vehicle space, like particularly like commercial vehicles, the idea with EVs that they want to make them as light as they possibly can because of the weight of the batteries and carrying cargo and all that kind of stuff. So they've started to carve out a really good niche there. And that's like a really good future opportunity. Here's the thing. Both of those businesses are really cyclical. And right now the core business, the one that generates revenue for them is the wind turbines, right? And it's a long-term, it's a secular growth opportunity, but very cyclical. About a year ago, Jeff, they almost defaulted on their debt. Um, they all like they they were like at the point of having to file for bankruptcy. Um, so they were like me in my twenties. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, only no emergency fund. <laughs> only um, only with significantly more debt. So ba- I mean, they like they were seriously they were within days of of um, my 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 analysis right is that they were, I think they were really within days of, of having to file for bankruptcy because, or they were certainly within days of defaulting on their, on their debt because they were going to be outside of their covenants, right? So they had to go to Oak Tree Capital, which is like the payday lender of the, the corporate finance world to get, to raise debt, to refinance their debt, to get outside of those covenants. Um, so they didn't default at a 12% interest rate. Now that sounds, exp- that sounds like not crazy expensive right now. Well, what was the, what were the interest rates when they did that? A year ago, yeah. I got a mortgage for three point or for two point seven five percent. Right, so money was typical free. corporate that would have been like four or five percent. Right, so basically double the rate. So here's the thing. I went really big on this stock when they made the announcement because I was like being hyper optimistic about it, and I've I've lost about half half of my cost basis at this point. I haven't made a change, but they've encumbered the business with all of this debt. Um, and it, it could permanently, I should say permanently, it could significantly affect their ability to generate, you know, positive cash flow and grow their cash flow per share uh, for some time to come. So it's just a dumb, a dumb investment because I got, I got way ahead. They, they got way out over their skis on their leverage. I got way out over my skis on thinking about their ability to handle it. Yeah. So, do you think the do you think the mis- the bigger mistake was owning it to begin with, or adding to it when they were having all those troubles? Looking at the road lead. Oh, definitely adding to it when they had all their troubles. Definitely adding to it. Um, completely a mistake of of commission too. You know, this was entirely me being t- me being excited about the prospects and losing losing sight of the economic impact of their fuck up with managing managing their books. The CFO's gone. He left soon after. And of course they said all the good things, but and you know it, I'm sure there was a conversation in a hallway about, you know. It's hard though, because we've talked before about, you know, you're gonna be wrong sometimes in investing. And sometimes you're wrong when you you do something like that where you you sort of ignore what's in front of you and kind of hope for the best. And sometimes you're wrong where you know, and, and this is where you won't really know for a while now, Jason, like you could go back in time and decide to sell at that point, but who knows, maybe 10, 15, 20 years from now, they have their act together and it, it's a 10 bagger, you know, like, so, well, that's why I haven't sold it because I I don't think it's a broken business. They've just significantly encumbered it. And I was not disciplined. I mean, I, I made this about a 2% position for me, Jeff. 
and you know that's that's very high conviction for me. Right. Um, it was dumb. It was just dumb. So one that we were talking about before we started recording that we both have done, although at different times and at different dollar amounts, um, like total dollar amounts in, in terms of portions of our portfolio, is selling Tesla. Um, yeah. So I yeah. I owned it for a much shorter amount of time, sold it for a little bit of a gain uh, after holding it for about a year, and it was a tiny amount of money, right? Just overall, so like even if I had held it and it and it had gone on to you know have crazy returns for the next 20 years it, it wouldn't have been enough to materially change my life um but it it's interesting like it it's one of those things where if i just look at it straight up like was this a bad decision to sell from a complete you know monetary like um not monetary but like returns point of view i won't know for a while if i made the right decision or not and i and this is in 2021 for me now you sold tesla earlier and but for similar reasons yeah, I, I, I don't have exactly when I bought it in front of me. Um, but I can tell you, not long after the company went public, I started paying attention. Lived in Southern California at the time, and they had a Tesla showroom in L.A., West L.A., close to where I lived. And I drove by it a few times and saw it. And yeah, tipped like so many people back then. I just rolled my eyes. Like, your car is terrible, terrible idea. And then I started reading about Elon Musk and, like, the things that he did building PayPal and, you know, what he built before that. And saw some interviews with him talking about like his approach to thinking about solving problems. Um, and I, it was, it was really compelling. And then learning really more about like the business approach with Tesla where you saw GE, like with the EV one, right. That was like the poster car for electric vehicles was this kind of crappy little thing that entirely existed because GM wanted to get the tax credits, right. That's, they were doing it just because there were some incentives and they wouldn't even sell the cars. They would only lease them because they did not want them on the highway after like three years. Like they wanted, they did, like I remember it was Julia Roberts or some other um, movie star, like Meryl Streep, somebody like, like, I mean, made, it was like this big thing trying to buy the car from them, like wouldn't, wouldn't return it at the end of the lease. And like they ended up having to like, re, it was like crazy. So anyway, but they were just junky little crappy, useless cars. And then of course the Prius, like beep, beep, this little, you know, thing. And Musk said, let's make a really sexy, fun, fast car. And they made the, 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 the Model S. What was the, no, the coupe, the little two, the, little, oh, the oh, Roadster, oh. right? They made the Roadster first. It was built on another company's um, base platform that they you know, came up with. The, 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 and the idea like for the, the batteries, right? Instead of like this over-engineered you know, automotive-grade battery that was bulletproof that nobody was able to ever build, Musk said, let's use like the cheapest cost per watt commodity lithium battery cell we can buy and stuff as many as we can and build in for like the, the likely amount of failure, right? And it was just a much more cost-effective way to do it. And then again, focusing up market. And then the Model S, right? Like you were saying, that was like, that was the thing that proved it out because it's like sexy and fast and just a, a great car and broke the like broke the car industry when he did this um and i bought relatively early and and held for a few years and then the antics started right and then i be, began to be very very distracted by this small position in my portfolio that had grown a, a reasonably amount larger but it was never really that big maybe five percent at the biggest 
but it was taking up an outsized portion of my time, right? And it became distracting. And I sold probably tripled my investment. It's pretty good, right? Pretty good. I sold on April 5th, 2018. Okay. The stock's up. This is after the big decline that we've seen over the past year, year and a half, um, is still up tenfold, right? So, so a triple and then a 10 bagger on top of the triple, I sold a 30 bagger basically, right? Um, so you could say it was a mistake. Um, but the key is, I still think that selling was the right thing for me because there's no way I would have been able to hold through everything that's happened over the, the past four years. No way. Right. Well, that's the whole thing. When you look back on whether a sell decision was correct, you have to also think to yourself in the ensuing time from that sell decision to now, would you have held through all of that? You know, it's easy to say like, oh, if I knew right now today, you know, I agree. I, I, I sold for a similar reason. I, the, it was the antics and I was thinking about it too much, but my thing was I couldn't bring myself to add to it. Um, it just seemed like it, the, the valuation didn't make sense. Like it was worth way more than I could wrap my head around. Like I couldn't understand why it was worth so much, you know, especially compared to other car makers. And, but then it was really just, I really do want to root for the companies that I own. And I had a hard time rooting for Musk. So that's what I sold. Um, so Jason, before we, before we get too close to the end here, you, you told me another story before we hit record that I, I'm dying for you to tell everyone else, which is not only what, not only a company that you sold some of that you still own, but what you did with that money, this is the best. Yeah. This is a wonderful story. <laughs> it really, it really is. So, um, over the past few years, I've talked about selling half of my Shopify stock. And this was in June of 2019. I sold half of my Shopify stock because it, I felt like it was too expensive. I felt like it was overvalued, right? And here's the thing, like within, from by, by 2020, 2021, it was up 400%, right? It was, that was from the day that I sold that half of position, right? So again, it had about doubled. So we're talking like 800% gains that I sold, essentially. Um, here's the thing. Like I like to beat my chest now and say, hey, it kind of worked out because from the date that I sold June 11th, 2019 through now, Tesla stock has climbed up the mountain and back, or excuse me, Shopify stock has climbed up the mountain and is back, and is back down. It's only up 9.2%. The S&P 500 is up about 38 or 39% over that same period. So you might say, hell yeah, Hall, you called it. You're a genius. You called the top You're a genius. and got out with half the position. However, and this is the always, and this is the question you always ask me if I say I'm thinking of yeah. selling something. You first thing you say is, "What are you going to buy with the money? What are you going to buy?" Okay, Jeff. So, like you were saying, I always ask you when you say you're thinking about selling, "What are you going to buy? What are you going to do?" You know, selling for selling's sake is kind of a BS thing to do. Right. So I sold that Shopify. Right. And people should go June back 11, and listen 29. to our episode. Uh, on selling stocks as the part of the how we invest series if they want to hear more about that. Yeah, that's a, that's a good idea. So, sold Shopify June 11th, 2019. Thought I was really smart, valuation was crazy. 
watched it climb the mountain since then up over 100% back down. Now I'm looking like a genius again, Jeff. S&P 500 has far outperformed Shopify. But here's what I did in my brilliance in my brilliance in 2019. I took the proceeds and I divided it up and I said, you know, I'm not going I want to I want to be thoughtful about this and diversify my risk. I bought the following companies. Noble Corporation, Diamond Offshore, a company called Ensco that merged with a company called Rowan to become Ensco Rowan, and I bought Transocean, and I think I also bought Sea Drill, and it's just not listed here because for some reason. So anyway, Jeff asked me asked me how that worked out. How did that uh how'd that work out for you? With the exception of Transocean, every single one of those other companies filed for bankruptcy. <laughs> I'm having a lot of fun on this episode. Yeah, you should, I hope you, you should be. You should be. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say that again. Every single one of those companies, with the exception of Transocean, filed for bankruptcy. I wrote an article about this back in 2020 looking at the offshore oil and gas drilling. These are the companies that the, that the oil and gas drillers hire to go out and actually do the work in the, uh, the offshore work, like doing the exploration, drilling the wells, all that kind of stuff, right? And from the time that I bought, starting for about a year and a half before that, up through 2020, less money was invested in offshore drilling than has ever been invested in the same period of time since offshore drilling became a thing back in the 1950s. It's just absolutely dried up. <laughs> and these companies turned, I can't, I wrote an article, but that article, I think the headline for the article was, was this subsector turned a $10,000 investment into $87 <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I did with my Shopify money, ladies and gentlemen. So, well, one thing that you and I talked about way back when we started the podcast was um, and we actually had a conversation with a friend of ours who who will appear on the podcast in the future. Um, but basically, you know, if you if you look at what people say about their own investing on the internet, most of it is is like you were saying, uh, you know, chest pounding. Look at my returns, and not, not yeah. enough people openly talk about the mistakes they make. And I think the Forgetting same thing happens when people go to Vegas. They come back and say, "Oh yeah, I won a thousand dollars." Well, they didn't tell you about the two thousand they also right. lost, right? And and there's two pieces to it. There's the obviously you're going to make mistakes. It's okay. You can make those mistakes. It, like that's one part. But the other part of it too is you can make a ton of mistakes in investing and still be fine in the end, right? If you're again, if you think about investing as a goal you have in mind down the road, whether it's to retire at a certain point in your life or you know, to, to purchase something, you know, down the road, like a, a retirement house or something like that, you can still make some of these mistakes and yeah, you can look back and, you know, rue the day you sold the thing that would have, you know, bought you a really nice car had you held it. But that's all sort of something that can trip you up and keep you from forgetting the real goal is to get to that point that you have in mind at retirement, get through, you know, be able to have money in retirement, whatever your goal is, and these mistakes can be painful and, and you can learn from them, but a few of them here and there, or maybe even a decent amount of them here or there, if you have your act together sort of writ large, 
should not derail you. Um, and, they, and they should keep you from making too many more mistakes down the road because you learn the lessons from them. Let me, let me give you an example of how that works in real time. So we've talked about how I own a lot of stocks. I have a hundred and I'm down to 116, Jeff, down to 116 stocks. Wow. Yeah. In my portfolio right now, and a lot of these are stocks that I've added positions over the past year. So they're down, but these are unrealized losses. I have around 60 stocks that have lost money for me. My 25 best performing stocks have generated enough returns to erase all of those losses. Yep. So you've got another, what, 30 or 40 stocks in there that that's, you know, that's where the money's being made. Yeah. It, it is amazing when you look, hear examples like that and, you know, one company out of 10, if it's the, if it's a real big winner can erase the other nine's losses, you know, like, I mean, that has to be an extreme, it may be an extreme example, but, um, you know, you, you really only need a, a, a few or a low percentage of your overall picks to be big winners. Slugging percentage yeah. is the key yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely is. All right, Jason. Well, I think we, I think we told enough of our own mistake stories. I know there are more, but you know, maybe we'll wait a year and do another mistakes episode. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I just remembered something I wanted to say. You were talking about, um, you know, that people sharing their wins, right. And the crowing and the chest beating and all that kind of stuff. It's something I tweeted about recently. Um, and the end of the tweet is, you know, humility is an amazing compounder of wealth. And as investors and as humans, it's really easy to justify these mistakes or, you know, somebody else's fault, something, something happened I couldn't control, you know, and, and not learn from it. Right. And I think the biggest thing that I've learned is to try to be humble and to try to be realistic and look at these mistakes and thinking about things from the perspective of probabilities and not binary outcomes. It makes you a lot better as an investor. So I just, I want to encourage anybody listening to think about that and not be too binary about it and be humble and be willing to admit when you're wrong and learn from it because you're going to make plenty of mistakes. Now you just, you can make different mistakes. That's, that's the fun of investing is you get to make different mistakes every day. Right. And, and the last thing I'll say before we wrap up is, you know, if you, if you can find people in your life to have conversations about these mistakes and about investing with, that helps too, because you, you quickly yeah. find out that that dumb mistake you made, you're not the only one who's made that mistake. That's one thing I've gotten from listening to other podcasts with people who've been, been investing for a long time. Everyone who's been doing this long enough has the story, has their own Shopify story, you know, like that you yep. just told. Um, it, right. it's really, I mean, even the greatest investors of all time, you know, like you, you'll hear Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger talk about mistakes they made. Right. So it's, it's all of us, even the best. Absolutely. Jeff, this was a, this was a good show. I can't, I can't wait till you grow up and you know, you, you have some stories to tell about your investing mistakes and that we'll share some of yours. Yeah. One day we will tell the just been investing long enough to tell a, a mistake story <laughs> episode and it'll be great. Awesome. Jeff, this was, this was fun. As we, uh, as we like to end every show, we, we love to ask these important questions and, and give our own answers. Friends, it's up to you. Up to you to find your answers 
to these tough questions. But Jeff, I believe in the people that listen to our show. They're the smartest investors in the world. Agree. Agree. Not even just podcast listeners. They're the smartest investors. That's right. All right. Thanks, Jeff. We'll see you next time, buddy. See you next time.